Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the No Huddle Show. Uh, I am connecting Sam as we speak. I had a few technical difficulties earlier, so stand by with us. I thought it was Guns N' Roses bringing us in. So we are going to get Sam on the line right now. He is still up in uh, Michigan, but he should be back in the studio with us Friday. There we go. Now we got Sam on the line. How are we doing tonight? Hey, what's going on, Mike? You know, it's fall, it's football, and I can't help but think of, like, tailgating, going to the games. Like, I don't know, I'm a little old now, so I enjoy I enjoy seeing the games at home rather than in person, but there's really nothing like a good tailgate, you know, like, Especially for like a, a four o'clock game, not necessarily a prime time game. And one o'clock, you know, you got to get there like at nine a.m. to secure a good spot, and it's a little bit too early. But like, if your team plays like four, and you, and you know you get to the parking lot around noon or so, and you start firing up that grill and tossing the football around and start drinking beers, there's really nothing like it, man. No, I have to definitely agree. You know. Um... Every sporting event, especially football, holds its own, like, um, I would say uh, spot. Like, because, you know, baseball, not much tailgating really happens. You know, you get there, um, you know, uh, it's a, baseball's a lot longer of a game. So, with football, I could totally say I see that happening. Like, there's not, I mean, honestly, though, there's no other sport that anybody really tailgates to. Hockey, NBA games, I, you don't really see it. No one talks about it. I mean, it's really a football you, thing. Yeah, it's only a football thing. But like, what what I mean by by tailgating, it, in extension, it also means like you know, um, I know a bunch of people that set up shop like two hours before a basketball game. You know, um, yeah, and they'll grill some burgers, and you know, just you know, have a quick meal or a quick bite just a couple hours before the, you know the 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 basketball game and. Just, I've seen that happen plenty of times, you know, in the parking lot. So, yeah. but but when it comes to just when it comes to just football, that there, it's football's known for its tailgating, right? So for I sure. have to agree, man. I love tailgating. I love the the feeling of you know going to a Saturday uh, college football uh, game or like a Sunday NFL game. It's great. What, what's the best tailgating food, man? What is so for like for me? It, it's just your classic burgers on a grill for tailgating. I don't know if you have, I know and down in like certain, down in the South, like in Louisiana, they make gumbo for tailgating. Florida will do all kinds of different things. They'll, for Kansas City, they do some kind of barbecue. What's your go-to tailgate food? Um, uh, burgers are definitely there, um, but I would have to say I do like, like uh, I enjoy a bratwurst, like a good brat, um, or like a beer brat. Those those kind of things, um, especially like if it's like a fall, yeah, game, yeah, totally. 
Um, a little bit heavier, right? It's supposed yeah. to, it's, it's meant to keep you full a little bit longer. Um, yeah, so, go brat. Brats, okay. So I'm, yep. I'm a burger guy, but you know, the people up in Wisconsin will love you for that, for the brat, for the brat take. So, yeah. um, uh, cheese and brats, man. There you go, man. Nothing better. That's what green cheese and brats, uh, cheese, beers, brats, and football. That's what Green Bay does. So, um, uh, you know, I wanted to get to uh, something that really upset me over the weekend. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but it was at the uh, the Washington Chiefs and, and Redskins game, and they were honoring Sean Taylor and Patrick Mahomes' douchebag of a brother, Jackson, was filming a TikTok on Sean Taylor's number on the field, which was fenced off, by the way. Um, I'm not buying. Do, do you think? Do you think? I don't think it's. I saw the video. I saw the clip. I, to me, it didn't. The first take, it didn't seem like he was knowingly doing that. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know. Nowadays, uh, you know, these younger kids make TikToks. They make it for a reason. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It looks somewhat innocent initially, but I, I can't tell, man. I really can't tell. I'm just, you know, this is not the first time Jackson's been in the news. Um, Jackson um, also made headlines uh, a couple of weeks ago when he poured water or beer on a Ravens fan. It was shouting stuff. Uh, this kid is starting to quickly become like LeVar Ball, someone who's just annoying, who constantly pops up on my TV screen for no reason. You're not playing the game. Your son or your sibling is. You're not famous. You don't have a purpose. Get the hell, get the hell off my TV screen. Like, I, I'm sorry, man. He shouldn't have even been on the field, dude. You're a family member. You're a brother. Cheer your brother on from the box seats or from the stands, whatever. You you don't need to be out on the field dancing like a moron. Yeah, I, I don't understand why these people need like field passes and yeah, I don't care if your your brother's Patrick Mahomes, it doesn't it genuinely doesn't it doesn't matter. Right. But at the same time, like I don't what are you doing down on the field, man? You're not you don't belong anywhere near it. You're not even on the practice squad, so you yeah. shouldn't be on the field, you should be in your seat. That's it. Or your box seat, wherever you are. Yeah, exactly, man. Speaking of box seats, this lucky guy is going to be in the box seats for the FC Cincinnati game on Wednesday. Uh, that's FC Cincinnati is an MLS team here in Cincinnati. Uh, my company's got box seats. Uh, so I will be sitting up in the luxury box on Wednesday drinking some free beers and eating some free food. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, not not even paying attention to what the hell is going on during the game at all. I might. I mean, I like soccer. You know, I, I mean, uh, I might. Uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. Okay, cool, man. All right, thanks. Thanks for that, bro. Anyways. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, let me ask you, so one of the first questions, uh, and this, they look terrible, uh, in fact, on Sunday. But are the Browns in trouble? They fall to 3-3 three and three now. They're currently sitting in third place in the division. Actually, uh, they're actually – tied for last in the division because Pittsburgh owns some tiebreakers, so Pittsburgh's actually third. Cleveland's currently sitting last in the AFC North. How much trouble are they in on a scale of 1 to 10, in your opinion, Sam? So this is what happens, like, when when you don't have – well, 
this is this is what happens when you don't have an elite quarterback, but you still pretend like you do. So Baker is not a, a great um, quarterback. So like with him playing hurt now, you know he he uh, with the reports being out, like he tore something in his his, his uh, shoulder. Yeah. You know, uh, so, so I think the Browns are in a lot of trouble. Um, they've lost both of their basically their primary pieces that was running the offense. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb Nick are both Chubb. injured now. Yep. Um, Jarvis Landry's coming off the IR. OBJ just in and out of the tent, getting hurt, not looking, you know, um, not looking like himself at all. Which right. I expected that because. He had some major injuries, but, you know, I'm hoping that – I mean, he's still better than a six-rounder that you that you draft, you know, um, in the NFL, right, in the draft. So he's still better than competition, uh, what you have behind him to play, but he's – you know, that, that offense has a big, big, big hole. You know, now the defense, yes, they're still good, but, you know, the defense, defense can only keep you in the game so long without scoring points, that right? Defense. By Arizona, yeah, they got um, destroyed. They got destroyed. Here's the thing: they're going to go into Thursday night against Denver now without their two top running backs, Cream Hunt, obviously, and Nick Chubb, as you said. Right, their best receiver right now is Donovan Peoples Jones. I mean, they yeah, don't. I have to agree. Then at wide receiver, if I'm looking, everybody told me going into this year that the Browns had the best weapons in the AFC North. I And I said they have the best running backs, no doubt, the best one-two punch in running backs in the AFC North. And, and probably I would say in the NFL, right? Hell, yeah. If you want to tell me that OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, David Goku, and, and Richard Higgins, Austin Hooper, if that group of guys is better than anything – the Steelers or the Bengals have, I'm sorry, no. Yeah, the Browns might have better running backs, but I'll take the Bengals and the Steelers receiving court all day over the Browns. No, I would too. I would too. Uh, and, and that's because the team, you know, like I said, their main weapons are the ones that really run the offense. So without Cream Hunt and Nick Chubb, it, they look kind of lost, you know, on offense. And Baker's, I, yeah, I think it's time for Cleveland to admit Baker's not the guy, man. And and here's the problem: the Browns are not gonna be bad enough this year. I don't to get a top yeah to get a top seven pick where you would need to be to get a QB, and that therein lies the problem. And I feel like if you're Cleveland, maybe you put. Instead of giving Baker an extension, you do what Washington did for so many years with Kirk Cousins and went Dallas there with Dak Prescott. Oh, just for a keep while. franchise tagging him? Exactly. Keep franchise tagging him. And, and then if he doesn't prove to be worth it like Kirk Cousins didn't, then you jettison him to someone else. And if he proves to be worth it like Dak clearly has, then you give the big deal. But Baker Mayfield's going to command. There's no, I don't think there's any chance. If Baker Mayfield would sign a deal that paid him about 23 to $25 million a year, you sign him then. But he won't. He's going to want 38 to $40, $40 million yeah. there, and he's not worth it. He's, he's not going to want prime time, prime time money, the, the money that, that your 
uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. Um, Josh Allen, eventually. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and he's just – he's not worth it. So, I, I, I don't – what did you say on a scale of 1 to 10, how much trouble the Browns in? What number did you give them? I, they're in trouble, man. I would say – I would definitely have to put them at 7 or 8. They're I, I think I agree with agreement with you. I think 7 uh, is it's definitely – you know, unlike with the Chiefs when they dropped a couple games and they were sitting at two and three, I, I put, you know, I had them kind of like around a three or a four. It's like, okay, we need to fix some things, but no one's panicking. The Browns right now, with these injuries piling up and their schedule only getting tougher, it's time to panic. Because I, I don't know if they're going to be able to beat the Broncos on Thursday night without Chubb and without um, call it Cream Hunt. And then they got to play the Steelers and the Bengals. Man, if they lose three games in a row, Broncos, Steelers, Bengals, they're sitting at three and six, and all of a sudden, what seemed like a promising season is pretty much over at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, speaking of uh, teams with the future and uh, looking things looking promising, I wanted to ask you, of these lowly teams right now in the NFL – who do you think has the brightest future between the Texans, the Jaguars, the Jets, the Lions, and the Giants? Well, uh, I would have to be a little bit biased and say the Jets, um, only because, um, okay, so in order to be well, I mean, do well uh, in the NFL, you actually have to do bad to know what not to do, right? So, I think the Jets are are on the right pace in that section in that direction to say that hey Zach Wilson we're giving you exposure to what the NFL is like they're going to make some tweaks in the bye week let's see what happens for the rest of the year but they're not sabotaging you know um they're not sabotaging the the franchise by bringing in high profile stars and you know things like that I was reading an article the other day the Jets are a prime candidate because of the draft capital that they own to go after Michael Thomas, believe it or not. Michael Thomas is $25 million against the cap this year, and the trade at the trade deadline, that could be an offsetting move that, um, you know, the, the, the Jets and, and the, you know, the, I don't think that, I don't think Sean Payton and the Saints, I don't think they're going to do that, but if, there, if, if there's a chance, <clears throat> then then um, they only have six more million after this year of guaranteed money to pay him. So that would be a perfect decision at 28. He's 28 years old to bring in a primetime receiver, give him, yeah. like, a really solid weapon. Granted, he comes back off of injury well, right? Right. Um, you know, that's and that's why I like the Jets, because when it comes to draft capital, they have a lot. You know, they have a lot, a lot depending on next year, how the Seahawks do, how the, how the Panthers do. So well, the Seahawks are in trouble without – if Russell Wilson misses four to six weeks – that might oh, you be- saw Geno Smith. Geno Smith is finally going to win the Jets a great pick, uh, yeah. which he wasn't able to do shit uh, with the Jets yeah. when he played on the Jets. But uh, thanks, Geno, for that fumble, yeah. uh, for all that good stuff, right? You know, the, they should have, they could have won that that Steelers game. But I mean, Geno Smith being Geno Smith, right? Time to pay it forward, Geno. Um, I would say the Jets and the Jags of those teams I think might have the brightest futures because they, they have a quarterback, right? They have a quarterback. We don't know enough yet to say that Zach Wilson is a bust. 
We don't know enough to say that Trevor Lawrence is going to be good or bad. But I'll tell you this. Houston is not – Deshaun Watson's not going to be in Houston for, for long. I don't know. Whenever he moves on, that'll be that. But Davis Mills is obviously not the guy in Houston. Then you look at the Giants and you look at the Lions. Danny Jones is not the guy either. He does not look like the guy. Definitely not the guy. And and Jared Goff, I don't know if the Lions can move off of Jared Goff due to his contract. Now, because remember, the Rams paid him a whole heap of money and then traded him a year later. So I'm not sure if the Lions are even in a position to move off of Jared Goff next year because he's looked they awful. Can. They can. They actually can. He looks terrible, by the way. But uh, but um, it's it's all a lot of the money, a lot of the guaranteed money that that Goff had as part of his deals uh, deal with the Rams. Um, they a lot of it was like a, a first year signing bonus. Um, they they guaranteed like twenty five mil there. So there's a, a a bunch of little things that like once you read into the contract, I think they they could get rid of him next year. Um, this year's this yeah this year's guaranteed money whatever he's got left on his contract, and, and there's there's a portion of it maybe next year I'm not sure. Fifteen point five million dollars is guaranteed next year. Oh, there you go. So, so I mean, who would take him for the fifteen million? Who else would you who else would you pay for fifteen million? Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I don't know if the Lions can even draft a quarterback. They probably could because I because honestly, twenty twenty three. Uh, so after the 2022 season, come March 19th of 2023, he's not due any guaranteed money. Just the roster bonus, which they can cut him. If they cut him before March 19th, he's not due that roster bonus. And he would only count for $10 million in dead in dead money. Uh, whereas if they cut him at the end of this season, he'll be $30 million in dead money on their cap. So yeah. – the Lions could technically draft a quarterback next year, but next year's draft class for quarterbacks is very, very thin. There's only maybe one or two guys coming out that are legit NFL talents, uh, and so it's all going to depend on how the how things shake up. But I, I don't think Jared Goff's the guy, right? I don't. There's no chance he turns things around in Detroit. Oh no, absolutely not. I mean, and I don't think Detroit's a place where he could turn around either. Um, he's the type of guy that needs. <laughs> On the day, calling the plays. He, so, you know, he, he was actually good. He was decent, you know, um, for that one year, the year they played the Super Bowl, actually. Um, but, but, and they probably paid him off of that, you know, uh, that year. They probably just paid him off of how he, how well he did that year. But, but going back to him as a as a quarterback, I, he needs like a Bruce Arians, a um, Andy Reid, um, a Frank Reich. He needs he needs a very um, strong offensive minded coach to to actually use his his talents what he has um, to its you know to its best ability. So I, I think that uh, with with that said, I think like if he ended up being a backup quarterback for like you know Patrick Mahomes or um, being a backup quarterback for Lamar Jackson, these guys, I, I he could do he could excel at something like that. What about him going to San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan? See, that's the other thing that I would say that your last ditch effort to try to get something out of him would be something like that. Um, because Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty much the same thing as Jared Goff. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at two very similar quarterbacks. 
it's there now. So. Trey Lance, Trey Lance, uh, he needs more time to develop into who he is. Yeah. So, I don't know. If that, I would say that's your last shot. But anyone that wants to take him on that $15 million he has he has left of guaranteed money, um, to play as a starting quarterback, that's really cheap, actually, in the NFL. Backups yeah. get paid like eight mil, maybe six mil or so. Well, that's just a guaranteed salary, but he's still got a base salary of of ten million dollars plus a roster bonus next year. Right. That, that's so. What I'm saying is that a a, a team could actually have to may, they may have to shell out fifteen million to to get him. You know. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with the draft, but I I, I, I kind of lean towards agreeing with you. I also think that the Jets of that aforementioned group have the best head coach because I'm still a big fan of Robert Sala. Um, you know, the, the the cupboard was pretty bare uh, for uh, Sala when he took over. Uh, they obviously, they don't have a lot of weapons. Um, I, I still think their running game is god-awful. Um but I, I think I think he'll put a culture in place. I, I think he could if the Jets draft correctly and they put some weapons around Zach Wilson. I, I think they could be competing in the in the East um, in a couple of years. So I mean that's kind of what I was saying about that with the Jets. You know, going full, full circle is that if you look at um, Josh Allen, you know, uh, his first year he was god awful, man. Um, yeah. They were like, what was what was the what were the Bills thinking when they drafted up uh, like ten spots to take this guy? Um, I, I don't know, but at the same time, it's god awful, man. I'm not sure. Oh, dude, the first year, his after his rookie year, he, he was connecting maybe on like 52 percent of his passes. He was so bad on accuracy after his first year that like, uh, you know, on certain obviously certain. Play, you know, on certain pass plays over uh, 12 yards or 13 yards, his accuracy just got worse, right? Because he could throw the ball in his first year, but he he was so bad with accuracy. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I see a trajectory with Zach Wilson maybe similar to, yeah. to Josh Allen in the sense where, you know, you, you could have a bad first year, but you could really turn things around depending on who's around there and who, who's setting up the culture, you know, at the Jets. Buffalo really gave Josh Allen a lot of weapons, making the trade for Stephon Diggs. Um, I mean, just even bringing Cole Beasley in as a slot receiver his second year it was a big deal, you know. So like, um, they had they have Beasley now for like three years or two years, you know. Um, they they did enough. They I would say they did enough. They had um, they had some help at running back too, you know. So again, uh, the trajectory. It's it's similar. If if you give an like a, a number one receiver to Zach Wilson, I think he'll be able to do it. like you know Stephon Diggs is a, is a number one. You know he's he does he's really good at what he does. I would say he's in that upper echelon of, of wide receivers that could run all the routes, that could make all the catches. So you give someone like Zach Wilson a Stephon Diggs type of wide receiver, I think you you'll see you know he'll do he'll do a lot better than he's doing right now with Corey Davis. God. So staying in the AFC East, um, is Tua done as the quarterback in Miami? I know they're they're one in five. They had patience after they won ten games last year, but missed the playoffs. Then Tua got hurt for a while. They're wallowing at one in one in five. The Jags got their first win of the season against them. 
Um, does Miami need – first, is, is does Miami need a new quarterback? And second, is, will their head coach last this season? So, I think um, the the Dolphins, what, the, their head coach is Brian Flores, right? So, Flores might have another year left, but, like, the patience has to be growing thin by now. Um, Tua, uh, look, man, um, he, he actually passed – pretty well, I would say, um, in the game. He wasn't so bad. He's been coming off an injury. He's still relatively young. I, I think you've got to give him a full run um, at, at trying to run the team. You know, he he still threw for over 300 yards. He had, like, I think two, maybe three touchdowns. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, two, yeah. two touchdowns on a pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he still threw over 300 yards. Uh Accuracy is still an issue. You have to look at the weapons they, they actually have, gave him. So, believe it or not, he actually has a decent set of weapons. He has Waddle. He has Parker. Uh, have, if he played Devontae Parker. Will Fuller, if he played, he should have had that too. Um, they have Mike Gusecki. They have Gaskin as a receiving um, running back. They have Malcolm Brown as a bruiser, as a, a you know regular uh, first, second uh, down back. So and they have a decent they they have a decent O line I would say mid mid pack mid of the line O line yeah. they should be doing a lot better than one and five then yeah I I they have on defense they have Xavier Howard they have a good secondary uh, none of them played Xavier Howard none of those guys played yesterday so but Xavier uh, Howard didn't play right he didn't play on on the game in London so yes granted you know your top shutdown corner is not playing. That's fine, um, but still, one in five is not. Well, I mean, Tua just came back, so I don't know. Let's see, one in five for for Flores though. He should have picked up at least one more win. I don't know. It's hard to win with Jacoby Brissett though. <laughs> I'm doing that better. Uh, so last uh, last topic for the NFL here before we move on to some other categories here is. Um, what do you make of the Ravens' absolute dismantling of the Chargers on Sunday? That that was a game we both talked about on Friday as a game to watch that we were looking forward to seeing. And this is seemingly over before it even started. And Lamar Jackson didn't even have a good game. He was 19-27 for 100. Did he lose you fantasy because of, of, of the way he played? I will likely lose in fantasy only because I'm down 50 points going in tonight, and all I have is Dawson Knox and the Buffalo defense. So yeah, unless fun. Buffalo returns a couple interceptions for touchdowns and Dawson Knox gets like 28 points, I'm probably going to lose this game tonight. But, yeah, because Lamar Jackson only got me 13 points. Yeah, um, yeah. In After a week where he gave you like 50 or 42. He gave me 72 the week before. That's the thing. Baltimore focused on the running game. Lotavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman all got in the end zone. They ran the ball 38 times for almost 190 yards. And the Chargers ran the ball 12 times for 26 yards. They They couldn't even get the run game going. I was watching, when I was watching that game, I was just watching, um, you know, Austin Eckler kind of just, they never got it started. They never got that run game uh, going and moving in the right direction. If you, if you can't get that going, then it's, it's tough to um, just rely on just, you know, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, um, 
book these guys. But, you know, it, it was a complete shell shacking, right? I mean, they lost really bad, right? 36, and they were down 17 to nothing. And then that's at that point, you saw them abandon the the, the running attack because at the end of the first quarter, it was only seven to nothing. So right. everything was there for the Chargers still. But then in the second quarter, Baltimore scored again, and then they kicked a field goal to make it seventeen nothing. And at that point, the Chargers basically abandoned the running game from that point on, and they put it in the hands of Herbert, who did not have a very good game. He was twenty two of thirty nine for one hundred and ninety five yards and a touchdown and an interception. So, but the the Ravens defense stepped it up in a big time way. But I'm just I'm honestly shocked by the outcome of this game. And the fact that the Ravens got to feel really good that they beat the Chargers 34-6 to and they had a pedestrian game from Lamar Jackson. But the thing that I had heard going into the week was the Chargers' run defense is soft by design. Uh, they, they're more concerned about taking away passing lanes and the deep ball. Right, right. I, I have to agree with that. I have to agree. I see, the, I see their defense predicated yeah. on picks, on passes defensed, on things like that instead of uh, forcing a fumble out of your ball carrier or sacking the quarterback and going for a strip sack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. And so I think the Ravens, because of the threat of Lamar Jackson to run, they were seeing a lot of open lanes for Freeman and Murray uh, to run the ball. And, and you know, None of them had outstanding games. Freeman, nine carries. 50. He had the he had the best at, at all three of them actually. Yeah, best of it, yeah. But so I mean, I you know, I the Chargers will obviously bounce back, but the Ravens have to put a stamp with now beating the Chiefs. They beat the Chargers. Um, you know, they had that epic comeback against the Colts on Monday night. The Ravens. And that's what makes quiet. them such a polarizing team. Like they barely won against Detroit, and this is the same team that beat the Chiefs and also now beat, you know, um, these guys. Uh, it's So I didn't like the game at all because very game script. Like, I, I thought the game was um, – it was just set up for a, a bad statistical showing, I think. And the reason yeah. why I say that is because uh, um, when you looked at the – when you saw the way the Ravens were kind of marching down, you could have put anybody in there actually at, at running back, and they would have ripped off like an eight-yarder or a nine-yarder. It was, it was nuts. They were um, – it was so easy for, like, these washed-up guys like Freeman and Bell and, and Murray to actually get loose and get a couple. But, like, especially Freeman, uh, he's way past his prime. But uh, that this, this game script type of game, it's a bad game to bet on, I think. And it's also a bad game to, like uh, – um, to look for, like, big fantasy points out of, out of uh, you know, uh, one player or two players. You know, we laugh that Devontae Freeman is so much past his prime, but he, you know that he's only 29 years old. I know, but he's had so, so many injuries. And <laughs> as running back in the league, though, he's got, he's got the miles on those tires. That, that tread is not um, – it's not something that, that's, that's like, you know, Le'Veon Bell where he's had limited usage of the last two or three years. I'm just Freeman saying. was, like, heavily used during those Kyle Shanahan Falcons years. He was, like, abused almost. Moving on to our next uh, next uh, segment here. That's our NFL talk. And then, you know what? I think you're right, Sam. We're going to have to up the show a little bit because uh, the NFL talk, man. We're already in 30 minutes. This is crazy. We're and we just 
Yeah, and that, we just that, talked about what happened. We didn't really talk about what's even coming forward, right? Right, which is usually saved for the Friday show to preview the upcoming weekend and stuff. But yeah, I mean, we might have. I would say we could preview the Thursday night game maybe on Mondays. Yeah, yeah. But uh, moving to the uh, baseball playoffs, I'm a little shocked right now that the Braves are up two nothing on the Dodgers in the NLCS. So Man. you said you said that there was no chance that the Braves were moving out and no. and. and and pulling off this kind of upset, um, you're like, I don't, I, you know, your exact words were, I don't think, I, I don't see it happening. Right. Right. And I, there's been some questionable calls by the Dodgers, including using Julio Urias last night in the eighth. Uh, but man, the Braves have, so, like, they're missing their best player. Uh, it'd be like the Dodgers going into the series without Mookie Betts. And they're a starting pitcher, too. And, and, man, the Braves just keep finding ways to win. Now, granted, it's only 2 nothing. The series shifts back to L.A. now. Um, the Dodgers are going to get two games at home, I believe. Uh, and this is really funny to me, that the Braves actually get – the home field advantage. Uh, the Braves won 88 games this year, and the Dodgers won 106. But because the Dodgers are a wild card team and the Braves won their division, the Braves get home field advantage. So it's going to go 2-2, I believe. No, I think actually in the NLCS it goes 2-3-2. So they're about to shift to L.A. for three games now. And then they'll go back home for the final two to in Atlanta if it gets that far. But, man, the Dodgers, you have to think the Dodgers got to win at least two games at home. So, I, Would you say it's an upset the way that the Braves are playing right now? Oh, yes. I mean, the Braves have talent. Don't get me wrong. The Braves have talent on their team. They are not a bad baseball team. They got Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Eddie Rosario. They got, they got talent, Okay they are still missing a big piece of that, and they're missing their starter. Their pitching is not as good as the Dodgers. And, dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know who's pitched. I, I don't know who is scheduled to pitch for the Dodgers in game three. Um, I believe, okay, Walker Bueller versus uh, Walker Bueller scheduled to pitch tomorrow night. Uh, you got the Sox. Bueller. Bueller. Uh, the Sox are currently tied at zero in the bottom of the second uh, with the Astros. This series is tied at one. Uh, this is kind of going the way I thought it would go. Uh, I, I believe this one can go maybe six or seven games or, so, or six or seven games. Uh, but, man, the, the Dodgers there being down 2-0 and digging themselves a hole, I you know, man, I, I am shocked by it, to be honest with you. So I have a quick question. Do you know what team does David Price play for? I thought David Price was still – I thought he was on the Dodgers the last time I checked, unless he got cut. Yeah, he plays for the Dodgers. What's, what's the um, – okay, the only reason why I ask that is because, you know, obviously a high-priced pitcher, a little bit past his prime, I would say, right? So yeah. um, the reason why I ask that is, is in comparison to the rosters that are, have been built, like, uh, you know, um, with Atlanta's roster and 
uh, the Dodgers roster, who spends more money per year on their roster to, to, to upkeep? Same thing I asked you with, you know, the question with the Yankees and uh, the Rays, right? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the Braves spend money, but they don't have Dodger money, okay? By the way, the Dodgers roster currently for 2021, their payroll is $194 million. That, that sounds like, like the, the, the Yankees, right? Yeah. So the Yankees are number two at $179 million, okay? Now, Tampa Bay is at $43 million. Tampa Bay won their division over the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Red Sox have a payroll of $147 million, the Yankees $179 million. And Tampa Bay won the division with their payroll of $43 million. Atlanta is middle of the pack. Their payroll is not low at $112 million, but it's not as high as Philadelphia, the Nationals, the Astros, the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers. So Atlanta's kind of middle of the pack, but they they have some money, um, but they they have a very young team, so a lot of their guys are not very expensive right now. And and they probably will be expensive once they're up for renewals and extensions and things like that, right? For sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's like the reason why I'm asking that. It's really surprising to see. Uh, you know, a team like the Rays or even the Braves for that matter, because 110 million says that, or 12 million says that, hey, we're spending money on on some top players, but 190 says we're trying to get like a star in every position, almost. You know, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I just, yeah, I, you know, baseball is one of those funny sports because, yeah, you tend to see a lot of the same teams every year. But you never know what's going to happen. And to see, you know, Houston, this Final Four, though, if I would have told you at the beginning of the season, the Final Four in baseball would be Houston, Boston, L.A., and Atlanta, nobody would have been surprised. Atlanta was a quality team last year. A lot of them, a lot of people pegged them at the beginning of the season to be a World Series favorite. Everybody had the Dodgers as favorites. Boston was a team that, Boston's really the only surprise because Boston was picked to finish fourth in the division this year. But they had a giant payroll. Just a lot of people didn't have faith in the talent that Boston had. And so Boston would really be the semi-surprise of this group, but not really. Not if you look at their payroll. Yeah, that's really interesting because, like, you have, like, Correa, like, um, they were talking to him. I think before the the season ended, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't." He he said he's not going to play for the Astros anymore, right? Um, yeah. They couldn't meet meet the number or whatever it was, and he flat out said, "I wouldn't mind playing for the Mets or the Yankees." So it's like um, all these players want teams that will pay them and know they'll shell out the money, big time bucks. But oh, do you think the Yankees are one or two pieces away from a World Series? I think they've been there for the last couple of years. They've been adding steadily, adding pieces. Kershaw, whoever, not Kershaw, um, um, Cole yeah. and 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 uh, Stanton a couple of years ago, right? So I, I don't know. I I still think that that um, they're, they're gonna need help. Play from a World Series. They're, they're yeah. what? What away? The Yankees are two to three quality pitchers away from a World Series. Okay. 
They also strike out way too much. They got to put the ball in play. But that's a well. I mean, that's because they're playing analytics, man. Um, yeah. They just want to try to knock it out of the park. Um. So I want to shift from baseball to uh, a little bit of college football before, and we'll make this pretty short because as we have just under 20 minutes left. But uh, there was shocking news that came down that Ed Orgeron, the head coach of LSU, was going to be stepping down at the end of the season, even though they just beat Florida, the number 20 team, uh, the number 20 team in the country. Ed Orgeron won a national title two years ago with Joe Burrow as his quarterback. Last year, defending that national title during a COVID year, they went five and five. This year, they're four and three. But I remind you that Ed Orgeron won a national title two years ago, and now he's stepping down because his apparently there's other things happening that are beyond wins and losses. Yeah, um, so I kind of read up read up on that. Like I, I heard that the LSU culture for the players is very lax, very um, – I don't know. Uh, they kind of uh, cater to the, the players' needs, really. Um, I, so he's resigning. They're not firing him, correct? Right? I read well, the same article, too. He's resigning, right? He's stepping he's being, down? He's being forced to resign. He's being forced. Okay, yeah. So there's definitely some other stuff happening in the background. Um, there could be – some like uh, you know play, uh, student student athlete type of uh, scenario where you have like uh, Darius Geis and like you know um, like these players that that have in, in issues in, in in college that because they're stars or they played really well their coaches cover for them things of that nature for them you know messing up and doing something wrong it could be one of those scenarios too right it could be that he kind of covered up. Um, certain issues that got got brought forward, and see, here's the thing with cancel culture and the nat- and the nature of the people we have in this world. That's that's kind of looking at this with a magnifying glass. They're not gonna they're not gonna let it out. I don't think they're gonna let it out. I, I, I highly doubt they're gonna let it out. They're gonna find a way to do this very amicably, very uh, professionally, and say, hey, listen, this is the reason why they're, they're done. This is this is over. We're not gonna be answering any more questions about it. Moving on. Well, so here's a couple of things that came out recently about what had happened with Ed Orgeron. One of the things was he was bringing girlfriends to LSU practices and then even letting those kids partake in drills. Oh, so that's not cool. Um, he had also lost the discipline of the players. Um, you saw that um after the after the LSU won the national title Odell Beckham Jr was handing out cash to players on the field after the game correct on national position okay and then uh they had to um uh, impose uh sanctions and reduce scholarships because of that um, they had to fire their offensive line coach uh, on June the 2nd abruptly um, he, because he had broke NCAA rules and visited a prospect and provided him with gear during COVID-19 dead period. Um, then Darius well, I, Scott. I see, I see, some, of the, see some of those infractions. I, I, I don't, is that really something wrong, giving gear, right, to, to someone who – Visited the prospect during a dead period, which is a big NCAA no-no. 
Okay. All right. There's just a couple different things. And uh, Darius Geis, obviously, had had some troubles while at LSU while he was head coach. So I think the waning performance coupled with some of these things popping up was enough for them to cut ties. But I'm still shocked that a coach who won a national title two years ago, not five, not six, not eight years ago. Yeah, at least enough for you to remember it, yeah. Is gone. So we'll see who LSU hires. Um, It'll be one of the top openings. Um, It'll be a very popular job. Um, I imagine that LSU will probably get someone fairly big name to come there. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Um, as far as uh, another SEC team, Georgia looks to me like the absolute best team in football. Uh, They're looking really good, man. They're they looking really, really good right now. Outstanding. And they just – they thumped Kentucky. They absolutely thumped Kentucky. Kentucky came in on a high, 6-0. and They beat Florida for the first time in, um, I, I, I don't know how many years. I forget how many years they said, but it, it had been a very long time. I think since the first time since 1986 they beat Florida. Uh, Kentucky beat LSU. But their schedule was Charmin soft, Kentucky. They beat. Louisiana Monroe, Tennessee Chattanooga, and then they beat what I think are four of the weaker teams in the SEC. Florida's not a bad team, but Florida also now has three losses, and they're two and three in the SEC, so it's not a typical Florida team. Kentucky beat South Carolina, who's one and three in the SEC. They beat Missouri, who's 0 and three in the SEC. They beat LSU, who's two and two, and obviously not as good as they should be. And now they get Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, then New Mexico State, and Louisville. They don't play Alabama. Should they even be ranked? Strength. You have to rank them. Here's the thing. They don't play Alabama. They don't play Ole Miss. They don't play Texas A&M. So they played the one good, good team on their schedule, and they got throttled 30-13. This game was 24 – I mean – you know, it was only a 14-7 to 7 game at halftime, but then Georgia just took it over in the second half. And it was 30-7 to 7 before Kentucky scores a garbage touchdown with four seconds left to make it 30-13. to 13. But Georgia's defense is national title good. Their defense does not give up many points. Uh, points per game, they are holding opponents to five points per game. They've given up 33 points in total. In seven games, 33 points. Yeah, that's in, in college, in the college world, that's an elite defense, right? Considering how many points are scored um, based on yeah. the spreads that these uh, um, games open up with, you're, you're expected to, to go over most of the time. Yeah, that's crazy. That's really, really crazy averaging allowing 200 yards per game on defense 200 yards per game in college 200 yards that's crazy that's nuts so this georgia defense is national title good 
I don't know if anybody's beaten them, but we'll see if uh, we could see a hell of an SEC title game if Alabama goes the rest of the way undefeated and goes and plays Georgia. That could be that could be one of the best games all season. But Georgia, so, so you expect that, right? The SEC is like a very tough conference, right? It, it's it's uh it's got a lot of top tier talent. Um, it's got coaches that have been around there for a long time that that know what they're doing. Hey man, the Georgia looks like the real deal, right? Georgia looks definitely like the real deal. Georgia's schedule, they got to play Florida coming up, not this week, but next week. Then they got Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and Georgia Tech. I, I don't think they'll have any problems in those games, but you know, upsets happen all the time. Nobody saw Purdue thumping Iowa before uh, before they did. So you never know what happens. Georgia looks hungry this year. Georgia looks like a team determined to win a national title this year, and that's exactly what I think is going to happen because that defense, their offense is good enough to score points, but that defense, I mean, the most points they've allowed all season is 13 points, Sam. 13 points. That's absolutely insane. That's insane, dude. Kentucky scored 13, and South Carolina scored 13. And Kentucky scored 13 on a last-second touchdown with four seconds left. And South Carolina scored 13. Uh, it was their only touchdown in the fourth quarter after Georgia was already up 40-6 to six and pulled their starters. They, yeah. held Cle- they held Clemson to three points. Oof, that's crazy. They, they shut out Arkansas 10 points, who was ranked number 18 at the time. And when they beat Arkansas 37 to nothing, Arkansas was ranked number eight in the country. It's a tough, I mean, again, so so all these teams that they've played, they've played exceptionally well. Can you, can you throw me a quick stat? Can you tell me if they're better at generating sacks or like takeaways, like picks and things like that? Uh, well, they get after the quarterback exceptionally well. Um, I would say that they can get, they can get takeaways, but, uh, the, the biggest thing, um, is if you look at their, um, let's see, at their defense, this doesn't tell me anything. So right now on the season, I'm trying to find, um, I'm trying to find their stacks on the stats here. Um, which I wasn't seeing here. Uh, here it is. Georgia Bulldogs team stats and defensive leaders. This is why we need a producer, so we should just pony up money. But yeah, we, we need somebody that's Johnny on the spot with those numbers. Uh, they've got 25 sacks on the season in seven that's games. That's insane. That is it's absolutely nuts, actually. Number, it's number one in the SEC East. Uh, this is just showing uh, compared to the other teams in the SEC East. This uh, doesn't show the SEC, the other teams in the West like Alabama, LSU, they've, they've taken, they've uh, forced eight fumbles and they have, uh, they have eight interceptions on the year and they've scored two touchdowns, their defense. Yeah. So that, that just tells me they have like a, a really good overall defense. Not only are they um, getting after the quarterback, but they're probably forcing some of those eight picks that they push out. Um, yeah. so that's, that's exceptional, you know, for a college team to keep to keep them to keep the scoring low and have these takeaways, you know, sacks, uh, fumble recoveries, and, and picks, it's phenomenal. So here's one last stat about Georgia's defense that I will tell you: they have played 
four top 25 teams, okay, including two in the top 10. And, uh, and so the, in the four games against these top 25 teams, those top 25 teams have scored in four games 26 points. That's unreal. That is absolutely unreal. So the number of ranked opponents, they probably played the most ranked opponents this year, right? It's either them or I actually, I think I'm almost, I might be Nebraska who's played the most ranked opponents, but um, yeah, they, they played their fair there uh, for sure. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's going to be tough to beat Georgia, but that that's the team that, uh, you know, they're, I think they're on a bye week this week. Uh, they'll play Florida. That's really their last big test. Um, and, and then it's the SEC championship game. So we'll see what happens. But right now, Georgia looks like the team to beat like, for the national title. So we were talking about – Georgia has been mentioned with being one of the greatest defenses of all time in college football. So it brought me to a thought of the GOAT Mount Rushmore. And if we were creating a Mount Rushmore of the greatest of all time, it doesn't matter the sports. You can pick whatever four athletes. But who in your mind, because I have my list, who in your mind are the four greatest, and you know, athletes from any sport? If you need oh, time, boy, this is tough. Um well, you know what? Why don't we go? Uh, I'll, I'll say I'll make a pick, and then you make your your pick. I'm gonna go like that, one one after the other. How about that? Okay, fine. So, um, I I think Tom Brady believe uh, I believe that Tom Brady uh, belongs you now on my list. Okay, I'm heard of, right? Yeah, I will agree with you. I have Tom Brady on my Mount Rushmore. <laughs> All right. Um, for my second guy, I will go with Michael Jordan. Um, like my top, right? Uh, it's really easy to be like, yeah, Bill Russell. No, no, Bill Russell played, you know, in an era where there were like six teams or something like that. So uh, I don't care that he won 11 championships or that he won eight straight, for that matter. Um doesn't make a difference to me. Michael Jordan still, the, the amount of competition that he faced from his rookie years, until the point that he retired, yeah, he played the best, the best of the best. All right, we're in agreement there. So our first two, we are in complete agreement. All right, um, I am going to go with third. Uh, my third person, I will have to say Babe Ruth. Um, he's widely recognized as one of the best in baseball. Um Again, baseball has so many great players. Um, I, I, I'm going with, with Babe Ruth because um, he's one of the first to ever, like, what, do both, right, pitch and bat. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's, he's widely recognized as one of the best to ever do it in baseball. Uh, with my third, I'm going with, with Ruth. Okay. Um, we disagree here. Um, and I'll say this, Babe Ruth played in an era, uh, when they didn't allow blacks or Hispanics to play baseball. They had a separate league for them. 
They uh, not even separate. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if the Negro Leagues existed at the time when Babe Ruth. That might have came a little bit later. But Babe Ruth played at a time where I don't feel like all the best competition he didn't play against. I have a hard time putting Babe Ruth in my Mount Rushmore um, just because it's such a exclusive list. I have actually Serena Williams. Oh, so that's I would say that's that's uh, gives it. If I could give you the the, the producer thumbs up, you know, voice bit. I would totally do that. <laughs> uh, Serena Williams dominated tennis in a way that we haven't seen. I mean, she was Steffi Graf was really good. Steffi Graf was really good for a long time, but Serena Williams, she won twenty three Grand Slam titles, man. 23. And she's been playing for a long time, too. She's she been playing did. forever, dude. Forever. And in 2000, and there was a couple times. In 2015 and in 2002, she was one Grand Slam away from winning all four for the year. Now, remind me, she's never had a Golden Grand Slam, has she? So it's your a- Golden Grand Slam is... is- your your grand slam on the year uh, where it's a a, a uh, Olympic year as well, so you get an Olympic gold medal. Yeah, along no, with. she never, she never, not even in doubles. I I thought she, her and her sister won uh, won doubles. 